tonight. I want to talk talk with you something and talk about with you. What am I trying to say? I want to talk with you about something. That sounds better. That sounds gooder. Amen. That's more gooder. Uh, I want to talk about a subject tonight that I believe is very relevant. Uh, you know, we it's always relevant. But as the day and age goes on, as the times get nearer to the end, there's a subject, there's a tactic of the enemy that becomes stronger and stronger, imposing itself upon people and upon believers as well. And that is fear. Fear. We live in a day and age where fear is prevalent. Fear is reigning. Fear is controlling. Fear is manipulating. Fear is causing people to do things that they would not normally do. It's causing people to uh, take on concerns that really don't even have anything to do with them. And so we've got to look at this subject of fear uh, because we know that God doesn't want his people in fear. Uh, even people that are in fearful positions or situations don't enjoy being fearful. You know, they want peace. They want out of fear. They want something to answer the problem or be the solution to what's causing the fear and the concern and the worry. And, you know, we see a lot of things. I probably get a message on my phone every single day right now about something or somebody being infected with an Ebola virus. And, um, you know, we've got all these issues going on in the Middle East and we've got all the uh, troubles that are going on right here in our own countries. Today, I read that uh, Houston has a new mayor. Uh, she is outrightly lesbian and is requiring pastors in her area, in her county, to turn in their sermons to her to ensure that they are not preaching. Yeah, this is happening. We're there. Uh, and you know that that's only a precedent setting event. If this goes over in Houston, it will go over everywhere else. Uh, so we have a choice every single time these things come up, every single, every single time. You know, we're in a scary time where news is 24-7. 24-7 news is so dangerous. <laughs> we don't realize that you can flip on the TV, and, and I, you don't even have to do that. Uh, in fact, Chase just told me, I think it was today or yesterday, he said uh, 70% of people now get their news from Facebook. They don't even get it from going to the news. You don't even have to go to it anymore. It just comes right to you. The enemy knows what he's doing. And that's not an attack against Facebook. Facebook is simply a tool. And any tool can be used for good or for evil. Okay? And so with this access to so much information, uh, you know, sometimes we don't know how to process all the information. Sometimes we don't know how to process what's coming, what's attacking, what's feeding our minds. And so we've got to look at this subject uh, of fear. Uh, fear always leads to worry. Fear always leads to worry. See, it's not fear that necessarily gets you. It's the worry that follows the fear. Because if you're in fear or if you're fearful of something, worry is the result. And worry is a killer. We live in a, in a day and age, uh, in a day and age where the culture is run by fear. Fear is simply a technique that causes you to do something or causes you not to do something. Fear's motive is to 
is to immobilize evil and to make us as believers inactive. Because if you're fearful, you won't actually do what you know you can do. You won't actually do what the word tells you you can do. And so we've got to look at this uh, subject of fear. Fear is not rational. Fear is never based on facts. Fear is never based on the facts. Uh, It's amazing the things that we worry about. I, I saw this statistic. 40% of worry is about things that never happen. (laughs) Almost half of what we worry about is things that will never actually take place. 30% of worry is about the past that can't even be changed. 12% of worry is about the affairs of somebody else that you don't have control over. 10% of worry is related to health and sickness. And the other 8% 8 of what we worry about is actually possibly could take place is more likely to happen out of all that we worry about of all the things that we process in our mind because that's where worry takes place is in your mind worry it manipulates your mind worry controls your thinking worry controls your actions that come as a result of what you're thinking and so when we're operating in worry Uh, We become immobilized. We become inactive. We do not carry the power. We do not carry the ability that God has given us as believers. And here's the other dangerous thing about fear is fear can literally become a habit. You can literally get so habitual in fear and so habitual in worry and anxiety that it's your first initial instinct every single time you receive negative news. But here's the exciting part. If fear can be a habit, then so can faith. If I can develop a habit of always being fearful about things, then I can develop a habit of being faithful about things, being full of faith about things that are coming against me. And so we've got to learn to control what's taking place, what's going into our minds. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. First Peter, chapter five, verse eight. We've all seen this before. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, your adversary. So there is a devil. Walks about like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you know anything about grammar uh, or, you know, Bible interpretation, you know, that word like is what we call a uh, metaphor. That means that it's only giving something the resemblance or an appearance of being as such, but it's not really that. And this is where most of fear and most of worry takes place, is in Bringing an appearance of something that really isn't that. Bringing an appearance of something that isn't really what it says it is. The devil walks about like or as a roaring lion. So when we picture the devil, what do we picture? A roaring lion seeking to come and devour us. Well, the devil's not a roaring lion. That is an appearance. That is an image of something that he tries to be, but he's not. So we've got to understand this because fear and worry works 
by masking itself. Fear and worry is an appearance of something that isn't really that. And so, therefore, we get worried about things that aren't really anything to worry about. We get worried about things that will never happen. You know, again, bringing up the, the whole virus thing. And we'll get into that because, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's hilarious sometimes as Christians that we resort ourselves to thinking and responding to things just like the world does. And we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't hear a report that the world is hearing and have the same response they do. There's got to be something that rises up within a believer that that rises up within a Christian that says, I reject that. And it will not be. That will not be the case. But how many people in this nation are being moved by a virus because we hear that somebody got it or somebody's dying? It could be just one person and we're all affected by that now all of a sudden. It's gone viral. I mean, this just gave a whole new meaning to that, uh, you know, little phrase. It's gone viral. It's gone viral. And the news of the virus has now gone viral. And we've accepted it as if it's true, number one. And we've accepted it as if it's where the next ones. Well, you never know. No, I do know. I do know. Has anybody read Psalms chapter 91? Has anybody read about the protection that the body of Christ has under the shadow of the Almighty? Why am I going to resort myself to the same result that people in the world who do not know God and who do not live for God and do not operate under God's protection in their life? Why am I going to give myself the same answer that they're giving themselves? And so we've got to learn to see things, number one, for what they are. We've got to see things for what they are. That that doesn't have to come nigh my dwelling. That doesn't have, it may come to my left and to my right. A thousand may fall at this side and ten thousand, but it shall not come nigh thee. That's the word of God. So, we've got to see things. As they are, look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Worry is such a prevalent thing in so many people's lives, and we've got to take care of worry. We have got to take care of worry. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. (laughs) Be anxious. For nothing. For how many? Zero. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. Be anxious. Worry about nothing. Let that sink in for a little bit. But in everything, in everything, in everything... See, I can worry about nothing when in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. I believe thanksgiving is the key to people's issues with worry. 
Try worrying about something that you're thankful to God that he's already taken care of. Try worrying about a virus when you're thankful that God has already provided healing for your body. Yeah, it's hard to do. But see, we're not thankful, and so we worry. We're not thankful, so we worry. So we've got to be thankful. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God. That means the peace from God. That means not a peace that the world gives. And if the world can't, if the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. But the peace of God or the peace from God, which surpasses all understanding. What's that mean? Doesn't make sense. The peace of God that goes beyond natural comprehension, that goes beyond your ability to understand and acknowledge and understand and uh, uh uh, comprehend what's taking place will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace will literally stand guard out in front. That word guard is a military term. That word guard means as if uh, you've got patrolmen standing outside the city watching for. You know, when you're standing guard, you don't wait for it to get right on your doorstep. But this identifies to us where the anxiety comes from. It's, it's an attack on your heart and your mind. It's an attack on your heart and your mind. And we've got to do better. We've got to do a better job of guarding our minds. We've got to acknowledge the fact that what we watch, what we see, what we hear feeds us. Feeds us. You can't just watch anything. And you can't just watch anything for a long period of time. You can't just listen to anything for a long extended period of time. Again, access to news at any time, at any place, whether we want it or not, is dangerous to a lot of people if you don't know how to process that. If you don't know how to guard your mind and guard your heart, you won't operate in peace. You'll operate in anxiety and worry the whole time. And so I want to look at a story over in Mark chapter 5. And I've got four points that I want to give you tonight to living a life without worry. The title of this message is Not Dead But Sleeping. Not dead, but sleeping. Not dead, but sleeping. Those are two very different things, because although sleeping may look like you're dead, for some people it might, might actually resemble being dead more than others. I don't know if you're one of those, you've got to be jerked up out of bed, got to get a bucket of cold water poured on your face. But... They are very different, even though it gives the appearance or the resemblance of being dead. It's not. Because one is dead without life and the other is alive with life. Not dead, but sleeping. We want to take care of this worry issue. And I believe, again, most of our worry is over things that 
are not worth worrying about. Have you ever just thought about that? That yeah, the, the time that you spend worrying and the time you spend in anxiety, you're investing in that thing. You're investing it. I mean, it's taking energy from you. You get a headache. You didn't even do anything. You're just thinking about stuff and you're getting headaches. You feel tired and drained. You haven't even done anything. There's people that can run marathons and be less tired than you. We've literally just sat and watched stuff. And we feel drained. We feel tired. We feel like we've got nothing left in the tank. Why? Because the, the mind affects everything else about us. If I allow my mind to feed on that thing, it's going to affect my life. It's going to affect my well-being. It's going to affect who I am. We've got to watch out for this. And so I want to look at four points. I want to give you four points out of this story. That I think will help us with anxiety and with worry. We're going to start with verse 21. Mark chapter 5 verse 21. I'm going to read it through and then we'll go back and pull out the points. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side. A great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. So she's not dead yet. We're at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. That's a faith statement. That's a faith statement. But the faith is in the fact that if you can get there before she dies. See, see, we're the limiter on what God can do in our lives. We set the parameters. You determine by your faith, by your level of faith. His level of faith was, if you can make it to my house. Now, I remember another man that Jesus encountered over in John, a Roman centurion, that said, hey, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word, right? And my servant will be healed. He set the limit. He set the parameter for what Jesus could do. And Jesus said, this man's got the greatest faith in all of Israel. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, everybody else wants me to touch them and, you know, be there. But man, I, all I got to do is just speak a word for this guy. And sure enough, he got what he said. Amen. Come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Verse 24. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather Grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So she sets the limit. Because the next verse said, For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If I touch him. See, there is a difference between Jesus initiating the contact and me initiating the contact. Jairus has... Faith in the fact that if you initiate the contact with my daughter, she will be healed. And if you make it there in time before she actually dies, because right now she's at the point of death. If she dies, we may have an issue. But this woman says. I'll just touch him. 
I'll touch his garment and I will be made whole. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we have to remember that there's a side story going on here. Jairus is still on the way with his daughter dying at the point of death, and we've been held up. I mean, you got your daughter dying. You're not just, so how you doing, Jesus? Let's go this way. Let's go. No, you are hustling it, man. You're booking it. You're going. And you're already being slowed down by the multitude of people surrounding you. And now Jesus wants to stop and commend a lady for her faith because she reached to him. And touched him. Now, we can easily get in a posture of uh, uh, selfishness and say, what about me? What about me? But I believe that Jesus stopped. I, it's not in Scripture. I can't confirm this. But I believe Jesus stopped for Jairus' faith. Because the woman was healed. And he didn't have to acknowledge. But think of the faith that gets built up in you when you're on the way to Jesus performing a miracle for you and you see him perform a miracle. Think about what happens inside of you. Think about the point that Jairus is at right now. Before we go any further. His daughter's dying. Now, we always like to scale our stuff. Yeah, well, my daughter's dying. You weren't. You still have some life left in you. But my daughter's at the point of death. You're not at the point of death. You're just on your way to death. Right? We try to... We try to compete our stuff. God doesn't have a competition scale. He doesn't scale his stuff. It's all, hey, that's all the same to me. All the mountains look the same to him. And all he needs is a mustard seed of faith. So, Jairus at this point, we don't know exactly where he's at. But we're about to determine it with the next verse in verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So this is why I think they had a mentality of, if he doesn't make it there before my daughter dies, we've got to get there before she dies. Because the statement that comes is, why bother him? She's dead. He can't do anything about that. He could have taken care of it. And isn't it interesting that just as his faith was getting built up, now a word comes. Isn't that just like the devil? Isn't that just like the enemy? As soon as you start building up some faith. Because see, you got some faith being built up right here. And as soon as you walk back out the door, you're going to have something come against you. I know I'm not the only one that walks out that door, even after preaching a message and getting all pumped up and all riled up and get home and find out, oh, that's due. Oh, we got to pay that. And look, you come in here with problems. We all come in here with problems. 
And we get encouraged and we get built up because that's what church is all about. I hope you get encouraged and not discouraged by coming to church. I wouldn't imagine that you keep coming back. Just a glutton for punishment. They're just so discouraging there. I just love it. No, I believe there's encouragement and there's edification because we operate as the body of Christ ought to. You should be encouraged by being here. And so it's amazing how just as our faith is getting ministered to, our faith is getting built up. The enemy comes immediately, the Bible says, Matthew chapter 13. Immediately, the devil comes to steal away that which was sown. That which was sown. While he was still speaking, while Jesus is still uh, commending this lady for her awesome faith to reach out and receive her healing, while he's still talking to her, here comes trouble. Here comes a word to bring you back down. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. That's what we call an equation. That's what we call two plus two equals. Do not be afraid plus believing equals receiving your miracle. Verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. So that'll move you. I mean, we're just on the road to this thing. And as we get closer, it gets worse. Anybody ever seen that in your life? You get closer to the miracle and it's just getting worse. You feel like you're moving further away, but really you're just getting Jesus in the atmosphere and in the environment and in the presence of the problem. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside. You got to underline that. And when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, uh, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you. Arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. 12 years of age. When this child was born is when the woman was inflicted with the issue of blood. Immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age, and when they, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her. To eat. Four points I want you to see. First of all, many times there is a waiting period from the time we ask for a miracle and we see the miracle. There's a waiting period between the problem and the promise. There's a waiting period. Between this thing inflicting me and me bringing it to God. And then God actually performing the miracle. And I want to tell you tonight, it's what you do in the waiting that determines your outcome. It's what we do while we're waiting that determines the result. 
The waiting period is not a time for us to, ship, to sit back and, and be concerned with life and wonder why nothing will go our way and, and why everything's falling apart and, and, and ask silly questions like, where are you, God? Did you hear me, God? No, that's not the time to start breaking out the wailing and the crying because Jesus is going to show up and say, what's all this commotion about? What's all the commotion about? You know, a lot of what we see in the world, it's all commotion. It's all talk. We see the world, they, they are in the midst of what we saw here. There's a bunch of weeping and wailing and crying. This is not the time to be weeping, wailing and crying. This is the time to be developing an expectation for what we believe God will actually do in our lives. Develop an expectation within yourself. Jairus at least has an expectation that if he can make it to my house before she dies, she will be healed. She will live. He says this. He communicates this with his words. And so we've got to be careful during this waiting period. We've got to be careful from the time we ask, from the time we receive, what are we doing in between? Because asking and then living like God is not going to ask does not bring the answer. No, we've got to be expectantly waiting. Are we in fear? Are we in faith? This is where we ask the question. Jesus said this. He said, Jesus, uh, he said, uh, do not be afraid. That's worry. Only believe. That's trust. Do not be afraid, that's fear, only believe, faith. What's he saying? While you're waiting, be in faith. Be in faith. Be in faith. While we're waiting, trust. Trust. Trust me. Believe in me. Believe that the answer's coming. Be expectant. Of you receiving the answer that you're believing for. Are we in fear or are we in faith? Trust always trumps worry. If you can trust in God, it will always trump any opportunity to worry. Number two, we've got to recognize that God is always working. Here's what happens sometimes. And we've probably all been there. You're believing God for something. You're going through something. There, there's an issue that you're, you're, you're believing God to show up in your life. And you start seeing miracles happen around you in other people's lives. And it's so easy to put on the, what about me? It's hard to listen to other people talk about the things that are happening in their life when you're sitting back waiting on God to show up in yours. But just because God is not immediately, you don't see God moving in your situation. I have to clarify, see, because he's always working. He's always moving, even if you don't see it. But just because you don't see the change taking place in your life doesn't mean he's not moving. And you need to get yourselves in a position We need to get ourselves in a position where when we see miracles happening in someone else's life, number one, we allow that to build faith in us. And number two, we rejoice with them. Get excited about somebody else's miracle. 
Get excited about what God is. Agree with someone else about something they're believing for. I am uh, convinced that a lot of the issues that we deal with in church are buried in the, the, the practice of selfishness. A lot of things we don't see happening in our lives because we're only thinking about our lives. You don't. You can't help anybody else if you're only trying to save yourself. And Jairus here has an opportunity to hook up with the faith of someone else, to allow this situation that he sees happening with another woman. Instead of thinking, this is slowing me down, I'm, I, I've got something I'm waiting for Jesus to do in my life, When's he gonna t- when he's going to pay attention to me, instead of saying that, he can get hooked up and he can say, man, that's exciting. Man, if he can do it for her, he can do it for me. High five somebody else that is getting a miracle rather than just saying, well, I wonder when mine's coming. I wish I could be excited with you. Get excited about what God is doing because that will stir up faith within you that he can show up. An opportunity that could have raised doubt in Jairus. An opportunity that could say, I'm not going to get it now. It's too late now. We've waited too long now. He's got to make it there before she dies. The next thing that we see that Jesus does is he cleans house. This is probably one of the biggest areas that we falter in when we're waiting for the promise of God is we're trying to remain in faith about something, but we stick around people that worry. We stick around conversations that worry. We continue to feed ourselves with things that cause us to worry. You're believing for believing God for something, and you get hooked up, or you, you get around people that are going through the same thing, and you listen to them talk about their mess, and you listen to them. They're resorting to what they have to, but you don't have to resort to what they're resorting to. But it's going to be impossible for you to remain in any type of level of faith if you stick around people that worry and only speak doubt. Faith is fed. Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I'm not hearing the right thing, I'm not believing the right thing. And I won't see the right thing. You got to understand that your faith is tied to what you're feeding it. If you want to renew your mind, you've got to first change the source. You don't renew your mind without changing the source. You don't renew your mind without changing what's feeding your mind. I'm not going to think different if I'm still allowing the same things to feed my thought process. In the times where you're believing God for something, those are the times where you've got to shut yourself up. You've got to get with the two or three that will agree with you and shut out the other ten that won't. Get off of Facebook, get off of social media, get away from that corner of work, get away from the water cooler where all they do is they talk about how bad it is and how this virus is going to come get us and what it's doing. You don't even need to talk about the effects of Ebola. You don't even need to talk about what it's doing. You don't even need to talk about what state it's in now and who's the next person to fall to. You don't even need to have the conversation. If you can't say, yeah, but it's not coming near my house. Because I serve the healer. 
It's not going to come near my presence because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. It has no business around me. And if it touches me, it will die. If you can't be that bold about it, then just stay away from the conversation. We, a lot of times, take on other people's worry. If they're worried about it and we listen to it long enough, we worry about it. Just don't even entertain the conversation. Jesus goes up in here and he tells everybody to get out. Family members, get out. Well, I, gonna, I mean, I that might offend some people. It's worth it. Because they'll get over it. They're all right. You're never going to get rid of offenses. You can always get offended. It's what you do with that. But it's worth it, you standing in faith and you remaining in a posture of believing God and getting rid of some voices. See, they're not just people anymore. Well, that's my brother. That's my mom. That's my sister. No, it's a voice that's feeding worry and doubt in your life and it's going to keep you from seeing your miracle. We've got to ask the question, will this help or hinder my faith? We've got to ask the question, will it help? Or hinder? Will this conversation help me or hinder? Will this person help me or hinder me? You start dividing the line and you start getting things on the left and on the right and you start getting rid of things that are going to hinder you and you start acknowledging and bringing in things that are going to help you. Clean house. And the last one that I have is praise and feed. Praise and feed. He says... It tells us that they were overcome with great amazement. He commanded them strictly that no one should know of it. And said, something should be given to her to eat. Thankfulness. Gratitude. Remembering what God has done. It's amazing how as soon as we come out of one trial, it seems that there's the next trial down the line and we immediately forget what God just did. But you've got to feed the miracle that just took place. Give life to it. Keep yourself in remembrance of it. Remember God's faithfulness in your life and praise him and thank him and have a heart of gratitude because that will position you for the next trial. That will continue to stir up your faith. That will continue to remind you of God's grace and God's mercy and God's ability to operate in your life on your behalf. That nothing can come near you. That it cannot hurt you. And just as he showed up then, he will show up again. The Israelites struggled with this. They were quick to forget. Even though... God was constantly trying to tell them, remember my word, remember my decrees, remember my laws, remember when I brought you out of Egypt, remember when I parted the Red Sea, remember when I brought uh, dinner to you from birds at night and I brought manna to you in the morning, remember when I opened up the rock and brought water out of it, remember, am I not able to get you into the promised land? Have I not shown enough? But yet they get to the promised land, they spy it out, they look at it and say, nope, can't do it. And they keep themselves out of the very thing God had for them. I don't believe 
that we are to operate in any level of worry and anxiety. The Bible tells me be anxious for nothing. And look, this is a guy that had every right to say that. Paul wrote that statement from a jail cell. Paul wrote that statement after and during the trials and the hardships that none of us would. Your mortgage payment that's 15 days late right now has nothing on what Paul went through. This is a man that knew how to trust in God. This is a man that could write from a jail cell, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and by supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart, will guard your mind through Christ Jesus. Worry, you've heard me say it before, is temporary atheism. I love that quote. And yes, it punches me in the gut just as much as it just punched you. But it brings in the perspective. When we worry, we act like there's no God. When we get in positions of anxiety and concern, look, I'm not saying this isn't uh, 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 this isn't saying that there's not stuff going on. I'm not acting like I'm ignorant of what's happening in the world. I just remember that I'm in the world, but not of it. I just remember that I have resources backing me up from another kingdom. I have resources of heaven available available to me now in this earth. How are you going to be light in darkness if we look like darkness? Someone told me a a statement today. He said, we're having a hard time getting the world to look like the church because the church is spending more time trying to look like the world. It's the reality of it. I'll tell you what, it'll set you apart when you don't worry. Man, it'll set you apart. It will, you will look, you you will look so different. Just living a a worry-free life, you'll go through life and it'll be like there's a spotlight on you. You just, nothing phases you. You know, they, they say that there's, there's a worry gene. They say that worry is genetic. That if your parents worried a lot, you worry a lot. I, you know, I, 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 when I saw that, I was thinking back to my childhood, my childhood and, you know, my parents just never... They just didn't show show concern. I never saw my parents anxious about... Now, if they were just doing it behind closed doors or what, I know that there were hard times when I was growing up, but I just never saw them really showing outright frustration like, we're not going to make it. And, I mean, you can ask my wife. I just don't... I very rarely get into worry. Very rarely. And I thank God for that. That's not, that's not an enduring thing on my part. That's God operating in my life because I have my trust somewhere else. See, it all goes back to your source. Who's your source? If the economy is your source, 
Well, when it fails, as it is, you'll worry. If the health of this world is your source, doctors are your source, prescriptions are your source, then you'll worry because they, they can't fix the problem. If government's your source, you'll worry. If the military is your source and their ability to protect you and keep things from coming into this nation and you see 9-11 take place, you'll worry. You know, I mean, we, we live in a great nation. We really do. But even the United States of America is at risk of any attack at any given time. Whether it be a viral thing, whether it be military action, whether it be terrorists. I mean, if you want to worry, you can find, you can worry yourself to death, and people do that. They, I mean, they've literally found medical uh, things that are tied to worry. Heart conditions. It's funny, I was reading this, this book that was talking, someone did a, a news article. And uh, this guy has said that there were this many people that had this type of problem and this many people that had this type of problem. And the number of people amounted to be more than or even in our nation. Like, I mean, the numbers are so overblown that we only have a certain number of people in our nation and we have this many people that are bad. That means every single person in our nation and those that aren't even born yet already have medical conditions. This many people have cancer, and this many people have brain problems, and this many people have die of heart failure, and, and blah, 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 blah. It's like, if you want to worry, it'll find you. It'll find you. But man, when we can place our trust in God, when we don't set any limits, when we allow God to operate in our lives, when we allow Him, I, I, I would encourage every single person in this room sometime this weekend to break open Psalms 91 and read that aloud using your vocal cords. Not in your mind. Use your words. Get it out on your phone. Print it out and put it in your office. Now more than ever, we need to know that God's protection is for us. And I don't resort to what the world resorts to. I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a light in darkness. And yeah, it's dark. That just means I shine that much brighter. Amen? Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight for your protection in our lives. I thank you for your grace, your divine enablement, your divine empowerment in our lives. I thank you That we are your children. We are children of the King. Sons of the King. Daughters of the King. We are heirs to the throne. We are royalty. Father, the life you've called us to live, the life you've called us to obtain, is so much more than sometimes we let ourselves live. Father, tonight we take control of our minds. We guard our minds. We shut out conversation and activity that does not align itself with your word. 
anything that would cause anxiety or worry or fear to show up in our lives, we shut it down. We get in your word. We develop faith in your word so that it can endure us, so that it can save us, so that it can change us. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have for us. And we stand in faith, trusting you that we can see these these promises come to pass. He who promised is faithful to perform. We stand on your word. We're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we hear. Everything that we see and hear naturally is temporary. But we know that your word stands forever. We stand firm on your word, trusting and believing in you. We thank you that we will see your promises come to pass in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.